The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast your independent voice of Fulham FC my name's Sammy James and welcome to the show today we'll be discussing Fulham's one all draw at Kenilworth Road as ourselves and Bournemouth have decided to let the safety car out by not winning any of our last four and allowing the rest of the chasing pack to catch up however unlike in Abu Dhabi there's still plenty of time for Leeds to be restored we'll look back at that game and maybe cast one eye on Sheffield United next week and I'm joined by three warriors who braved the trip north to Luton yesterday in the rain. Dan Cook, hello Dan. Hi Sammy, how you doing? Fine, thank you. Come on to that. Lorraine Hughes, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Pleased to be here. And your partner in crime, Jackie Button. Hello. Hello. All okay? All good, thank you. Um, the reason that I said I'll come back to saying fine, thank you. Um, this has been something going around in the Fulhamish WhatsApp group recently. And um, to say it's living in my head rent free is an understatement. But apparently whenever people say, how are you back to me? I always say fine, thank you. And now I didn't think this was an unreasonable thing to say, but apparently a lot of people have noticed it. Um, so much so that people were suggesting putting it on T-shirts. Um, I, the, the error of my ways has now been notified to me. I will endeavour to not say fine thank you to the reasonable question of how am I in the future, but thank you uh, for alerting me. Absolutely rent-free, Sammy. I've never seen you this worked up. I mean, I just... <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing when I was suddenly getting taken apart for saying the most reasonable thing of all time. So, and, and, and this all stemmed from a listener getting in touch saying, um, can we put this on a t-shirt? I'm like, what? How has this ever happened? How has this suddenly come to pass? Anyway, enough of that. Dan, let's do some three word reviews from yesterday's game. So what were the best ones that came in? Yeah, so I took to Twitter to start with. Uh, we had our own Stephen Sheldrake with Somehow Still Top. Dan W with Sound the Drawn, which I liked, followed yeah, by a emoji. That Enjoyed that one. Brian Lake using alliteration nicely for drab, dreary, draw. Matthew Chantry gave us Lou Tun of draws, which I liked. Very nice. James Wilson did my job for me completely. He said, I say we just go with four consecutive draws. No point in overthinking it. <laughs> and finally, Jay Thornton over on Instagram with Thank You Blackburn. Yeah, Blackburn is a little bit of a favour. So we are actually one point clearer um, at the top after they lost at home to Blackburn. But that chasing pack, which includes Rovers themselves uh, and also West Brom, uh, getting a little bit closer in the table. Um, Loz, I'll start with you. It certainly wasn't one to write home about yesterday. A fourth consecutive draw. And when you go on a run of draws, you always get this slight spit split in the fan base because it literally is six of one half a dozen the other unbeaten run continues it's better than losing but ultimately as you said in your blog we won't win this championship by drawing yeah i mean four on the top is disappointing there's absolutely no doubt about it um you don't mind a couple of draws but you know two not good three the draw with Bournemouth. you take that you know you're not going to grumble over that uh, an away match at Luton, tough match, horrific conditions. It's a tight pitch. Everyone's up for it when they're playing Fulham now because we're top of the table. 
Um, but it, it was disappointing. I think everyone before the match would have just thought this is a match we're capable of winning, notwithstanding Luton having beaten Blackpool 3-0, which is a good result. They score a lot of goals and they're obviously a, a, a good team, much better this season than last season where you know they could have been relegation contenders. So, um, you know, it is disappointing. I just think we need to get the points on the board and we can't rely on everyone else just cooking up, basically. Um, Jackie, uh, talk to me about the day. Uh, I'm currently uh, still in isolation. Day eight, come on. And I was desperately disappointed to not go to Luton. I had to sell my ticket. Um, but from the reaction from everyone else, it seems like I managed to get a, uh, a free a free pass. Everyone seems to be moaning about how ho- horrible it was. <laughs> Yeah, it was very disappointing, really. Um, I mean, the day as a whole, you know, a trip to Luton, it's it's not a long trip, but it, it could potentially be a good trip. Um, not long enough to have cheese and wine on the train. So that's not a good start. Um, not a very nice walk from the station. And I have to say, actually, when, when I was doing that walk, um, I was thinking how incredibly lucky we are to be able to walk along the river, walk through Bishop's Park, you know, rather than through some roads that just aren't that nice so so I did feel like a lucky Fulham fan I have to say um having said that Kenilworth Road nice old-fashioned quirky little grounds um very tightly packed um you feel like you're practically in the goal when you're when you're sitting behind it so the atmosphere was excellent we were right by the Luton fans as well um they were in really good voice so so that side of things was really good but on the pitch really was not that good. Very flat performance, um, giving the ball away all the time, not linking up properly. Um, The sort of disadvantage of feeling like you're on the pitch is that when Fulham are defending in front of you, you, you're just like having a heart attack the whole time because they really weren't defending very well. They were sort of just having to dig it out um, and really lacking in the attacking department as well. So yeah, a frustrating afternoon all round. Uh, Dan, uh, Fulham made three changes, a couple of them in force, a couple of them tactical. Uh, so you saw Fabio Carvalho drops the bench as well as uh, Dennis Adoy. Uh, so Kenny Tete and Decadova Reed came in. And then you had what was clearly an enforced change with Harrison Reed dropping out the squad altogether. And then you had the double pivot of Seri and Kearney. Now that double pivot worked the one time that we've seen it away at Nottingham Forest, where we somehow won that game 4-0, despite I think only having three shots on target. Um, but this time around, um, I think maybe we started to see the flaws in, in that system. As lovely as it is to watch sometimes, maybe yesterday just wasn't a Serian Kearney day, was it? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say more... Uh, the flaws or more saw how much we miss Harrison Reed when he's not playing. I think it's more what he provides that, that is what we were missing. I think in part it works and having that double pivot meant that because Luton pressed us very highly um, and they occupy central areas, you know, they play three centre-backs, three in midfield, two forwards. It's a very congested central part of the pitch, both sort of laterally and longitudinally. Um, and when you have two players like Seri and Kearney in there, they can play out of that press because they have the technical ability in those tight spaces and they did it really well. What you miss is then neither of those two have the dynamism to do what Harrison Reed does, which is get up and down and get in between the lines and just 
be a nuisance, basically. And I think that's partially what we were missing and partly where our problems came from because we frequently beat the press really well. And actually we played, we had some really nice sequences and passages of play playing out from the back, but we beat the first press and then there was no one breaking forward. So we then played ourselves back into the press again and went back and had to do it all over again. So I see where people have issues with that double pivot of, of Seri Kearney. And I had it yesterday too. Um, but I don't think really he'd have gone into that game and played it if he had the choice to have played Harrison Reed instead. Yeah. Um, Loz, there was an early penalty shout for Fulham. Uh, I think it was against Sonny Bradley. Uh, he miscontrolled it off his thigh. It then hit his hand. Um, his hand was definitely in an unnatural position, as they uh, talk about in the Premier League. Now, this one, if you look at the rules, I feel like is a diff- is, is down to interpretation. The rule is that if the ball strikes any part of your body, then hits your hand, it's still not a penalty. But the reasoning for that rule is not to stop mistakes like that. That was a miscontrol from Sonny Bradley. Then he controls it with his hand. That's more if it deflects off your leg from a shot, then hits your hand. You do have absolutely no way of being able to stop that. So I don't know if the rule's really written for, for that particular scenario, but the referee didn't give it much to Mitrovic's disgust. And I mean, Mitrovic wasn't happy all day, was he really? <laughs> No, well, Mitro was doing his usual sort of remonstrations with the referee, which he always liked to have a good conversation with every referee that we have. So that was sort of, you know, normal proceedings. But the ref, I think at first, he was trying to let us just play on and play the advantage. And if you think about the Bournemouth match, when practically every Bournemouth player seemed to get a yellow card, I don't know how they managed to all take turns at getting yellow cards at Bournemouth and not get two yellow cards, but they did. Um, Very smart about it. But um, as Jackie was saying, the advantage of Kenilworth Road is it's such a, tall, a small, tight ground that you can see from one end behind the goal right to the other end. And normally, if we're at, at, at the hammy end, we can't always see the goal map action at the Putney end very clearly, and you're sort of having to watch it on catch-up when you're in the pub afterwards. But yesterday, you could see it as clear as day, and he does control it with his hand, and without a doubt... Um, it was. It seemed like he was controlling it with his hands, and it was a clear penalty shout. And it wasn't like, "Oh, what happened?" Or you know, you know, did it hit his arm? It was clear, and it it looked to us like, notwithstanding the rules, that that was a penalty shout. But you can't keep on going on about referees and their decisions all the time. The ref let the game flow yesterday. It was horrific conditions. Um, and to be honest, they weren't half as dirty as Bournemouth. Um, they just they they were you know, because I suppose they weren't trying to sort of hold a lead like like Bournemouth were. Um, but um, uh, no, it looked a penalty to me. I don't know what Dan thought. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, and I, like you said, you can see it so clearly at Kenilworth Road because it's so tight. Um, and the referee, I think, the one thing is that the way the referee's seen it is he's seen it as that law that you mentioned, Sammy, because he points to his thigh, he taps it. Uh, and so he's not giving it off that basis. And I think it was a little bit of a cop out from him. I think it's easy for him not to give it because that's happened, you know, in front of the home end. Uh, they, they were G'd up the Luton fans for this game. Um, and I think it was just a little bit of weak refereeing because when he looks at that back again, I mean, it's hands in an unnatural position. He, he basically controls it with his hand and plays it back into his path. So yeah, for me, penalty. 
Um, the one refereeing, well, he actually did it twice yesterday that wound me up and it really wound up gentlemen gyms to the point that I thought he was going to get on the pitch. Um, where And it happens twice where Fulham players stood their ground and Luton players jumped over the Fulham players to win headers. And, and on both occasions, like I understand that it can be a foul if you stand your ground and, and, and back off and almost obstruct a player. But this was like people trying to do the high jump over, you know, when you try and like leapfrog over a bollard, it was similar to that at points. And I mean, gentleman Jim was losing his rag. Even Jamie, who's obviously a, a tad more calm, uh, was, was even, you know, getting frustrated by this one. Speaking of Jim and Jamie, there was a man behind Jim and Jamie yesterday who his language was I mean, it was so funny. It wasn't funny for Jim and Jamie because they're trying to think of like little children listening at home. But this guy was just, it was blue murder for the entire match. To the point I think where Jim and Jamie, it was sounding, they couldn't keep on in back. They couldn't keep on apologizing for this guy that was one row behind. <laughs> but it was so bad. I mean, That's they what were, mean about a tight ground, Sammy. I mean, yeah. it's like literally also, you can't avoid, avoid it. They also couldn't see one of the goals. Like they couldn't see the goal at the far end to where you guys were. So they, they didn't see the goal. They didn't see the either goal really that happened. They were like going, yeah, I think it was this person when it was that it was. Uh, and the weird thing is we're watching in like quite good. They don't have the, the TV cameras that we do. I was like, yeah, Jim, you've got that one totally wrong, but they just, yeah, you had to give them the benefit of the doubt because they couldn't see. Anyway, it was highly amusing for those of us that couldn't make it for Luton to Luton. Uh, Jackie, the goal, uh, nice to see Mitro get back on the score sheet. I thought Tosin was going to get two and two for a second, but obviously it was cleared off the line. It fell to Mitrovic. I mean, he won man of the match Mitrovic yesterday on the Fulham website, maybe by default because he scored the goal because he didn't do anything else. But it's nice to see him get another goal. 22 and 22. Maybe the record's uh, still intact uh, for Mitro if he keeps on getting tap-ins like that. Yeah, I think he's obviously slowed down a bit um, as the rest of the team has slowed down a bit as well. So um, his his sort of amazing record-breaking pace um perhaps isn't quite there anymore, but I, I still think he's going to get the record. Um, and I think that, you know, j- just going s- sort of to it generally, we weren't going to win all, all the matches this season. There's kind of nothing wrong with draws, except when you get four in a row. Um, and it was inevitable that, that we're not going to score seven goals every match either. And Mitro's not going to score every single game. But yes, it was fantastic to see him. It was a real sort of poacher's goal, if anything else, because of the way yeah. it came back to him. And he leapt on it. Um, but no, I agree. He, he didn't really do a lot else the rest of the match. He did some huffing and puffing, complaining to the referee, as we've all said, but not not much else. Um, and to be honest with you, we, we made Seri our man of the match for exactly the same reason. We walked to the, the station ruling people out and we were left with him. So it, it wasn't a great performance from anybody. Was it the blonde hair that tipped the edge for, for John McElroy? Yeah, it might have been the blonde hair. We have to admit, it does look good. Yeah, well done, Sari. I mean, and I found it quite annoying that in the last podcast on um, Thursday that Jack and I spent ages talking about great Fulham hairstyles. And literally that afternoon, Fulham released a photo of John McElroy with bleach blonde barnet. I thought... You could have you could have put that out twelve hours earlier and given us uh, given us something extra to talk about in that particular um, section. Um, Dan Luton, I felt like after the goal really grew into the ascendancy. We allowed them to come back into the match. The goal is 
is really poor, isn't it? I mean, in a weird way, I'm happy that it was Adebayo. I think he's a good player and, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's scoring and doing well. And if you read Peter's piece with him in The Athletic, it's a really great interview. And he obviously really speaks highly of, of the club. But obviously, I'm not happy to see that one fly into the net, particularly as he could have swung a cat in the amount of space that he had in the middle of the, literally on the penalty spot. I don't understand how a man can have that much room when we're defending a free kick. Yeah. And I think it's particularly disappointing because actually we've been pretty good from set pieces this season. But I mean, we know offensively, but also defensively, I think we've been really good and it's surprised us because Marco Silva has a reputation for being pretty terrible, his sides from set pieces. And it is disappointing because the other thing is that I don't think any player has scored more goals from inside the six-yard box than Adebayo this season. And obviously he's not scored from inside the six-yard box, but clearly this is a man who is very potent from within the penalty area. So to let him run free was really poor. It's a fantastic delivery. I think that's got to be said. We've played a relatively high line as we like to do from, from set pieces, from free kicks in wide areas. And it's got us running back towards our own goal. And that's really difficult to defend a set piece when you're running back towards your own goal. But it was entirely avoidable. It was a silly free kick to give away by Mitrovic. If we even go back that far, you know, we could have avoided this this set piece entirely, which you probably should be doing in, in tight games like this anyway. And I think it was just a little bit of frustration from him more than anything. So overall, it's one of those goals that Marcus will be really disappointed with. And we are as well, because it feels very cheap, like a freebie. Yeah, exactly. And And, you know, we are conceding quite a lot of set pieces, even if you slightly include the Bournemouth goal as a set piece. I mean, it was a set piece play if it wasn't necessarily a set piece by the letter of the law. But yeah, that's three games in a row that if you include that, that we have conceded. I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to be harsh, isn't it? When one of those goals against Preston had about five different um, infringements against the rules that counted against us, but still. Um, Loz, I felt like though, Fulham, we just gave Luton too much to, to go with really. And and I, I said on Twitter that I feel like the scalp effect is coming into play now where Fulham are a scalp. There's so many, re- obviously because we're top of the league, but also because the way that we've done it, right? Everyone thinks that we've bought the league and whether we can get into the minutiae of whether we have done or haven't, it doesn't really matter because that's what other teams think of us. They see that they, they, you know, they say that Mitrovic is on a hundred thousand a week or whatever. And even though these things are probably not completely accurate we have this target on our heads and I feel like two games away games in a row Preston and Luton we've not really dealt with that the crowd has managed to be up for it and say what you like about all the top teams and managed by those big coaches and whether they're overpaid or whatever but they know how to deal with going into being the Lions Den being the team that everyone wants to get a big result against and I feel like Fulham maybe at the moment are not dealing with that pressure all too well I, I totally agree I mean they're, they're not quite um, in the right place they, they, they are not consistent enough because there are times when they can be really clinical like against Blackburn Rovers but not consistently enough of the time and so yesterday, um, Jack and I were having flashbacks to the three-all draw at Kenilworth Road on Boxing Day two years ago when it was the whole triangle of doom at the back. It was just, like, horrific. And then yesterday we saw Wilson in the first half make some 
awful errors, like really glaring errors that were just basically casualness and carelessness in terms of giving away balls. And Tosin, the same, who was on the ball, had his, his back to the um, their attackers coming forwards to, to try and sort of uh, gather possession. And he was just slow and and not on it. And so there's this, they're, they're not composed. There's a and and they're, and they're not tight enough. And so yesterday it was it wasn't free flowing football from us, you know. And we understand it was like awful conditions and and you know the the, the ground is quite intimidating just from its you know in, uh, smallness and it's sort of imposing in terms of the fans so close to the pitch. But there's no excuse. We should have been much more clinical and much more um, fluid and uh, much more in, in control. And we were none of those things. And the first half, we, we, were, we were good, but so were they. And But the second half, they could have easily won the match. They certainly deserved their draw. Um, and, I, you know, we were saying, I feel we're doing too many games that are really good for the neutral. The Bournemouth match was really good for the neutral. Yesterday was brilliant for the neutral. I think I don't want it to be good for the neutral. It has to be good for us. And so, yeah, I need us to, we need to get out of that good for the neutral vein would be my 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 great big motto for Fulham at the moment. And Jackie, I saw you write in the blog that you did today saying have we managed to somehow catch Parkable um when he when he came to Craven Cottage uh, a week ago and a lot of these results a lot of these performances are feeling much more like they were two years ago than really what we've seen under Marco Silva this year um do you think that's just maybe a, a coincidence of the games? The thing is, with all these games, in isolation, they're all understandable. Derby was illness. Preston, difficult place to go. Mixture with illness. Bournemouth is second in the league. And then Luton is a is a good team and a difficult place to go. But also, the way that we're performing in some of these games, the way that our passing and the crispness of our of our build-up seems to have just evaporated definitely is giving me the most cause for concern, not necessarily the results in isolation. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've really gone off the boil. We, we were saying again on the way to the station, you know, have people sussed us out, but I don't think it's so much that I think it's the fact we're just not as good as we were, you know, six weeks ago. I think the illness thing, whatever it was, because we've never really got to the bottom of it. Um, clearly hit everyone for six and it's taken them a while to get over it um you know as, as i think i also said in the blog to have performed badly but got four draws is actually in some ways a good sign but no it is a worrying sign that we're just we're just not at the races for some of these matches and it's quite strange how we've gone from being so dominant scoring lots of goals defending well back to, yeah, what does look a bit like the Parker-esque way of passing the ball around for no particular purpose. I don't know whether that's because it's their comfort zone and if you're not feeling 100%, you know, let's just keep the ball, pass it around a bit, that's nice and easy um, and the opposition can't score when you've got the ball. But it's not the exciting football that we were seeing. It's not winning us matches and we need to get back to winning ways. Otherwise... Bournemouth are going to overtake us. Other people could overtake us. I know that's very much worst case scenario, but 
we've gone from having a good lead to not such a good lead over third place now. One thing I do think that's been a factor in this little bit of sort of possession, almost for the sake of possession, which I would say I don't think Silver's intending on it necessarily. I think he, he said before he likes his teams to play quick, purposeful passing games, is that Bournemouth and Luton both effectively tried to man-mark Tosin when we had the ball, which means... Uh, in a way, a striker just sitting a little bit deeper. And then as soon as the ball comes into Tosin, it's a purposeful and aggressive press on him because he is one of our key distributors in any build-up phase because it's him who picks out Seri or Kearney or plays one over the top for our wingers. And I think they've the, both teams nullified his impact quite well. And whilst it's a concern that other teams may look at that and say... Hmm, that's how we, we we make things difficult for Fulham. These are also two teams who are actually just really good pressing sides. And not all teams actually have the capability of doing that. And not all of them are drilled in the way that these teams are. So I wouldn't be overly concerned because not every team is going to be able to press us like Bournemouth and Luton did. And speaking of Luton, um, I, I said earlier today that would you mind just doing a quick run on the numbers on them? Because I think instantly we think, oh, Luton Town, not a difficult game or not a you know difficult team to beat. But we've, we certainly found them a tough nut to crack two years ago. We were lucky to get the win that we did at Craven Cottage and then the draw at Kenilworth Road again was was very fortunate. I feel, and when I've just looked at kind of basic stats like expected goals, I always see kind of Luton, not the top three, but always kind of milling about the low playoff positions. So yeah, I wondered if there was any other underlying numbers that maybe show that this isn't such a terrible point as maybe we're all dressing it out to be. I think you always get pushback when you talk about underlying numbers and stats, um, but there's definite proof in what Luton have been putting out this season that they're a better team than their league position shows they've conceded the third lowest xg this season which is very very impressive and that it works out at roughly 1.06 xg conceded per game which we actually created slightly more than so actually we created more chances than the average team creates which is a, a positive uh, and you'd say that in adverted commas, they've been unlucky with the number of goals they've conceded because of that, which is one of the reasons why they're lower down in the league than you would perhaps expect based on their numbers. If you then bring in the XG they've created, they would rank fourth based on expected points, which, you know, that's a very impressive stat. And I think that Nathan Jones is a very good manager who's been, his reputation got tarnished a little bit. Um, at Stoke, but that's been a tough job. And he's in general always overperformed with, with Luton. And we saw it yesterday, and this is where their numbers, I think, are, are important as well, is that only West Brom have won the ball back in the final third more times than Luton have. And we saw that yesterday. Their press was fantastic and it caused a lot of problems. And on the other end of the pitch, they've created the fourth highest number of chances. So we're looking at a team that's actually a really well-drilled, good side, perhaps without much individual quality, but as a unit, as a team, they are very impressive. And so whilst it is two points dropped, I don't know how many teams would be looking forward to going to Kenilworth Road. Uh, I mean, they, and you could see all those stats played out yesterday, didn't they? Because they did look a good team, which is why maybe it was good for the neutral and uh, Bournemouth, because all those stats, um, you know, all the chances created and the high press, as you said. So... 
Uh, yeah, it was entertaining, but in a scary way if you were a Fulham fan, because they did have a lot of chances. And um, and we just weren't clinical in front of goal either, you know. So we, we were our own worst enemy as well, you know, for all of Luton's. Um, I think quite, I think they've got a good team. As you say, they play really well as a unit and they've got some good individual players um, and Adebayo being one of them. Yeah, and and look, if Rodrigo Muniz does slightly better with that chance in the 89th minute, maybe we're discussing a different game. That was such a disappointing strike when he had kind of all that space and time. He could have taken a bit close to the goal. He had so much, he had so much time to do anything with it, and then just to kind of hit it low, daisy cutter at their goalkeeper was um, was disappointing to say the least. But yeah, and also Dan, the thing is when you play play a team that's high press and that's as intense as Luton, there are good days and bad days to play them and probably a game in the middle of December when absolutely chucking it down is probably not one of those good days maybe if if they come to the cottage later in the season I'm pretty sure they're one of the last games we face in May and they try and play that style on our bigger pitch I imagine that this Fulham team would have enough quality to to get around them and 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 get a positive result but yesterday was was a difficult one and so for me I think the next three games, if we get some wins in there, I think we'll all forget about this pretty quickly. But that's always the thing when you're a run of draws. We did it last season. I think we drew five games in a row last season and then we lost the sixth. And that makes the run of draws look really bad. But if you win the sixth, then it's all kind of okay. I mean, there was a slightly different scenario. We were trying to, we were chasing survival last season, not first in the league, but still. Fingers crossed. It's not all doom and gloom and uh, we can pick ourselves up for that game uh, in nine days time uh, against Sheffield United if it happens. Right, we're going to take a break and then afterwards we're going to answer some of your questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Dan Cook. Hi, Sammy. Lorraine Hughes. Hi, everybody. And Jackie Button. Hello. I think at this point, uh, Jack and Loz, uh, important just to talk about the book Crossing the Line. Um, I imagine that there's still a few days left that if someone wants to get uh, a Fulham loving fan, uh, the ultimate Christmas present, a nice little read uh, for next summer in their lives. Um, How long have people got uh, to purchase the book? I think as long as you've got Amazon Prime, you've got quite a few more days. So, you know. Um, but if people want to, that would be great. We're number three in lad lit at the moment. So a few more sales and we'd go back up to number one, like Fulham, which would be very nice for Christmas. Sorry, lad lit. Uh, That is a new one on me. Is that, that's literature for lads. Is that it? I think quite a lot of our readers have been ladies actually. So no, but it is a genuine Amazon category. So wait, hang on. Is it lady literature or is it lad literature? No, it's lad literature. It's because it's about football. It seems to fall into that category. It's, it's apparently the opposite of chiclet, which is more romance type stuff. And, um, and so we qualified for lad lit in the various categories, 
we are in sports fiction and in crime and thriller as well. But obviously that's a bit more crowded with people like Richard Osman type yes. people. You know, so trying to get up to a very high ranking is a bit more difficult. But we were absolutely chuffed that the club put details on the website. I mean, that to us was the biggest endorsement. And we are very, very grateful to Jeff Bruce. He's such a star for doing that for us. Um, and it's just a bit of fun. It's a fictional Fulham season. And if you uh, like reading nonsense about a manager called Marco, just there you go, uh, then, um, then it's a bit of fun. So um, anyway, if a Fulham fan, hopefully they'll enjoy it. It, it's we have some alter egos in it. It's not us, but there is a bit of a Waggerfy Christie type thing going on in it. Yeah, I honestly, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It's not every day that you read a fiction book that is based around your favourite football club. Um, honestly, it was a really, really great, fun read. Um, there's so many kind of like layers to it all. It kind of involves you guys. And then there's kind of like the fictional story that's that's happening at the club. It's called Crossing the Line. It's by Jack and Loz. Um, and honestly, I read it earlier this summer and, and I absolutely loved it. And if there's, I recommended it at the time and, I, and I'll say it again, that when I was, 10 to 15 and I had to pick a book for book club and I could never find a book that I liked because let's be honest I didn't really enjoy reading that much this would have been perfect for me so if there is a a, a young lad in your life um, who who needs a book for school or anything like that it'd be absolutely perfect then but it's it's just ideal for any Fulham fan so Crossing the Line by Jack and Loz uh, definitely worth picking up and uh, well yeah Amazon Prime you can just get it on Christmas Eve, can't you? You can do it. They, they deliver any time, don't they? So um, plenty of time still to uh, pick up a copy. Right, let's do some questions on yesterday's game and some other wider Fulham issues. Um, Dan, I'll start with you. This one from Elizabeth saying, when do we start to worry about the chasing pack? West Brom are now only five behind us and Blackburn are six. Um, that chasing pack just kind of now at arm's length, whereas before it felt like really that pack was was quite far off. West Brom are really not doing it in style. They got that slightly lucky win over Coventry and then won 1-0 over Reading. I mean, they did have about three outfield players that didn't have COVID for yesterday's win over Reading. So I guess that's something to applaud them over. Um, are you concerned at all or do you still think that Fulham are in a strong position? So I think I'll say that if we look at it, Blackburn are four wins in four. And West Brom are two wins and two draws. So they've closed the gap during a good period for those two. And in comparison, we've gone on a poor run. And that's going to happen. But I think it's a testament to how good we actually are, that Blackburn are fourth, having picked up 12 points from their last four games. We've picked up four and we're still six points ahead. I think it shows the actual the, the the gap here, and I'm definitely not worrying yet because whilst this has just coincided with us being in a poor bit of form and them being in a good bit of form, and as we've seen throughout the season so far, West Brom have got so much infighting within the fan base towards the management, and I think it's always a good barometer. If the fans aren't happy, things tend to not be going very well. So I would not be worrying yet. As from what I've seen this season and the football I've watched, we are definitely one of the best two teams in this league. Um, either Jack or Loz, are you, have you got sleepless nights over Stoke um, overthrowing us from, from the top of the table or us falling back into the playoffs? 
Well, I would just say, just in terms of the goal difference alone, that has to make you sleep very well at, at night. I mean, if that's any indicator of how good we are, just look at that. Yeah, I think ultimately it's been a bad run of form, but if you're still top of the league after a bad run of games, I think it makes those three over Christmas, Sheffield United, Birmingham, Reading, very, very important indeed. And I think if we can get two wins out of three from those, then I think that Fulham will eventually get to 50 points. And if you think about it, so after Sheffield United is the halfway point through the season, so that will be the 23rd game out of 46. We know that 90 is pretty much guaranteed automatic promotion. It has been for nearly all of the last 15, 20 years that I can certainly remember. A win against Sheffield United puts us on 48 at the halfway point. That's um, 96 if we were to add that over two seasons. And I think that Fulham started slowly this season, given the form that we've shown in the last 11 games. So I'm still pretty confident, but you know, the longer that the windless run goes on, obviously, then that might start to be... Um, a bit of a concern. Um, but also, if we just keep matching Bournemouth's record, I still think if we finish by Bournemouth, we'll also go up. So I'd be much more concerned if I was a Bournemouth fan right now, particularly with them away to Middlesbrough next Saturday, 12.30 kickoff, which is uh, looking a little bit difficult for them. Um, Jackie, I'd love to ask you this one, what your thoughts are. Matt Wall has said, um, Reem is always someone who will be a legend. However, he's now had two to three poor games out of his last four or five. Um, should we be rotating him out for Mawson now? Mawson played in the under-23s um, at the uh, on Friday. Um, I see you shaking your head. Oh, You're not not in agreement? No. Um I don't really agree to start with that, that Reams had a couple of bad performances, actually. Um, we thought he was good yesterday. He, he's always very reliable. This season, he's really come into his own. It's a bit of a renaissance, maybe. Um, you know, it's, it's very much kind of the autumn of his career now, but he's really making the most of it. You can see he's always very calm. He's always in control. He's probably a more vocal captain than Tim. Um, and even when he's not captain, he's obviously in charge of the defence, which he does do well. Um, unfortunately, you know, Mawson seems like a nice guy, but um, really damning him with faint praise here. Um, we're not his biggest fans. I mean, Loz referred earlier to the um, trip to Luton two years ago and the, the triangle of doom at its most scary. Mawson literally assisted a Luton goal. And people often say, oh, my mum could have done better than that. And speaking of someone's mum, I could have put that ball out for a corner, which Mawson did not seem able to do. So I know he's done some good things since. I know we didn't see the um, cup game against Leeds, but I know people have raved about him there and that, that's great. But, you know, he's not in the team for a reason. And um, we think that reason is that he's just not that good, unfortunately. I think my thinking on this is that there is obviously a, a glaring hole going into next season that if we won't, if we do go up, I think we can all agree that Tosin is normally the required quality, although he occasionally pulls in our stinker of performance a bit like yesterday, but there will need to be a partner alongside Tosin. And I think we can pretty certainly say that Tim Ream probably won't, wouldn't play 38 games for us in the Prem. And I think, 
it's easy to then go, right, Mawson's then the answer. But now I, th- I think that we've shown that clearly there's not enough trust in Mawson. So if we go ahead next season, Dan, and this is all if, buts and maybes that we go up, etc. It has to be toasted in someone new and therefore Ream has the armband for the rest of the season. Despite some limitations in pace, he will be fine for the rest of the season. And also I'm enjoying the fact that he is getting his swan song in a way. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I thought, I think Tim Ream's been fine recently. I don't think he's been at his best. I think one concern for me is that he seems to be lunging into more tackles than you usually see from him. I think his biggest positive is his reading of the game um, and, and and sort of judging situations. On Alfie Mawson, I think that whilst there is and was maybe a good player, a really good player in there, Marco Silva showing more trust in Michael Hector than in Alfie Mawson, I think seals for me that I think this has turned into a, a transfer that we just have to write off because he's, Injury has just, I think, just completely stunted him. And I completely agree. I think we need someone alongside Tosin. Um, if Terence Congolo wasn't made of cheese, it might be him. But I think there's no way that you can trust that you're going to get a full season, let alone consecutive games out of him. So I think we do need, do need someone there. I can fully see Alfie Mawson leaving next summer and being a rock at another club and doing really, really well. It just feels like he'll get the transfer out of Fulham and then some other club somewhere will be lucky enough to get the best out of him because I think deep down there is a good footballer there, but there's just too much water under the bridge at Fulham. I don't think he's what exactly what we need if we're going to be fighting to stay up in the Premier League. So for me, it just has to be the dream's not going to happen, sadly, but you never know. Um, Loz, Ibs is asking about our midfield. Some of the points in his question we raised earlier, but he does mention Josh Onoma, who came on yesterday and I thought was pants, to be perfectly honest. I really did. I'm sorry. Another person, a bit similar to Alfie, I really want it to work, but... He came on yesterday and he just seemed to lose the ball. Everything he did, I was like, right, come on, this is going to be the moment where Josh Onoma breaks free of some players and, and, and makes it happen. Then again, he lost the ball and it happened three or four times. It just wasn't happening for him. Another player that actually played really well in that Leeds game that everyone talks about. And I thought, okay, maybe this is the Josh Onoma that we all knew and loved. Um, Maradonoma, I don't think is uh, is coming back, is he? No, he was very disappointing yesterday. And um, I mean, we thought the subs were late. Um, we, we were sort of struggling. I mean, we, we conceded what, about the, on the hour, something like that. And the subs didn't happen until it was about 75, 76 minutes. And we, we would have uh, preferred earlier subs. I mean, Fabio coming on, he was good. Not yes. game-changing, but he was good and had sort of energy and... Um, I think that was that was a good move, um, and that was for Cabano. And he had had an all right match, but not brilliant. And then uh, Josh Vakerny. I mean, he, he when he first started with us, we sort of wrote in the blog about how how he was sort of very statuesque in that he didn't seem to move very much and didn't seem to do very much. Um, and then he came good, and uh, and we were definitely fans of his. And you know, we've seen what he can do and some of his assists and his goals and. And we like him as a player, uh, but he has been a bit disaster prone um, more recently. 
And uh, I mean, it's the Coventry match, everyone dare not refer to, but probably gifted them a goal. And, and yesterday, I mean, he was getting in the ref's way. I mean, he was like getting in everyone's way, like, but doing anything but assisting. And so, yeah, that was not a good sub. And he did not have a, a, a good sort of short stint with us yesterday. And it was sort of a counterproductive sub, actually. I mean, Kelly wasn't brilliant and he sort of talked about the Seri Kearney pivot when he came on against Bournemouth he was great Tom and obviously was the game changer um so you know that that wasn't that wasn't a good move yesterday um and it's a shame but not it didn't work no, I, I don't know what to say really about about Josh. It just seems to be a lot of heart, a lot of determination, but ultimately just really seemed to be lacking in quality in, in that middle of the park. I mean, I much preferred Josh when he didn't have that necessarily driving role to his game. I much prefer him when he is given a bit more of a, a looser role in the 10, but considering the quality that we have in that spot, I just don't ever see that Josh is going to break above Decadova Reed or especially not. Fabio Carvalho. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, our last questions um, are just uh, quite stupid ones, really, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Um, quite a lot of them food related. Uh, Brian Head says, saw a Luton fan tweet about Mitro's large wage. How will we afford such a tasty spread of cheese and meat with this lack of budget? It's a major concern in the battle for promotion. We'll gladly use up my charcuterie donation budget if necessary. Um, not really sure there was a question there too much, Brian, but anyway, thank you for that one. Um, Graham Sideburns says, Jack and Loz, what's your match day donut of choice? I feel like this screams that he's American because who's ever had a match day donut? Oh, yes. Um, in the Tesco's in Hammersmith um, by the tube, they do the Krispy Kremes and you can get a th- you can get three in a box and you can get, um, obviously, large selections if you have a very large family or you just love donuts very, very much. <laughs> but for my, my selection of three... Um, my favorite personally is the chocolate sprinkles, but other members of the family just like the plain glazed one. I don't know what Loz likes, to be honest with you. Um, I'm more plain glazed. Yeah. 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 Um, Can't be a plain glazed. Dan, have you ever done a match day donut? It it feels very American to me. Yeah, I don't think I have, but if I were to, I think a custard field would would rock my boat, I think. That's a Sorry, shocking. That's a shocking choice. That. Why would, you ruin, why would you ruin? Why would you? Why would you ruin? I'd uh, playing if it, if it, if it is a Krispy Kreme, it's a plain plain glaze. I do like oh, a chocolate filled. I do so like a chocolate filled one though, if, if if possible. They don't. They seem to be a rare entity. Yes, you, you have to. You have to be quite lucky to get a chocolate filled one. I think. Yeah, I don't know why they're not more. They're not more prevalent, really. Is they're they're absolutely astonishing. Uh, the last one from uh, the real Chris Shaw, who says, "Love the pod, and I have no real serious questions to be asked. I'm quite enjoying Fulham this season, though. Speaking of season, what is y'all's favourite holiday movie? So I'll go to everyone. Uh, Dan, I'll start with you. Your favourite film at this time of year to uh, to stick on if you're wrapping some presents, the fire's on, and you've got free control of the tele but you can only watch Christmas movies. What are you, what are you deciding? I've got two. I've only, I've already seen one of them uh, again this year, uh, which would be Nativity. Great Christmas film. Martin Freeman is exceptional. And the songs are frankly bangers. Uh, <laughs> and secondly, 
it, I mean, family tradition. We watch it every year. Love actually. You can't go wrong. Interesting. Uh, Loz? Uh, I haven't seen it for a while, but the holiday is good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a good bit of American and English interaction. So, yeah, quite like that. Films here where I live in Godalming, one of the scenes, oh. the scenes where the car chases through the high street, that's in Godalming. And one thing since I've lived here that I learned is that the Christmas lights that are here was paid for by the budget that was given by the holiday. Perfect link. <laughs> Things you didn't know. Um, Jackie, uh, a favourite holiday movie? I was going to say Love Actually as well, I'm afraid. Sorry to be boring, but it is it is such a good film and it's got Hugh Grant in it. So what more do you want? Yeah, a Fulham connection there, of course. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else really that like... I mean, Die Hard, I do enjoy, if Die Hard's on, I will always stick on that and, and enjoy it. I'm, I was a bit of a relate comer to agreeing that that was a Christmas movie and now I definitely do. And uh, <laughs> I think, I think just acceptance has been the way forward and I feel much the better for it, but a great movie nonetheless uh, at Christmas time. Um, thank you for that. And that'll do for the question section. Afterwards, we'll look ahead briefly to Sheffield United next Monday. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Jack and Loz and Dan Cook. Um, Dan, in the break, there's been breaking Fulham loan news, but not in a good way. No, uh, Andre Frank Zambo Aguisa, who has had a really good loan spell in general at Napoli, uh, in defending a set piece against Empoli, a corner, he won the header to clear the corner, only to head it straight into the back of an Empoli player's head, uh, and it found its way into the net. So uh, quite a Fulhamish moment in the Napoli game. <laughs> <laughs> poor old poor old Frank I'm, I'm still yet to see him absolutely rip one into the top corner he had that shot didn't he fairly early on where he hit the bar and everyone got really excited like oh my god he hit the bar like it's like it was an amazing achievement but he is doing very very well in Napoli and it seems like a matter of time <laughs> before the uh, that transfer gets uh, confirmed as a permanent one um, so we've got Sheffield United a week on Monday um, first of all that's quite a nice big gap for the Fulham team Team, maybe to iron out any kind of remaining fatigue that's potentially still in this squad ahead of uh, a busy Christmas fixture pileup. Sheffield United, though, will have an even longer break because their match, which is supposed to be taking place on Monday evening against QPR, has been called off for COVID. And, and it feels like, Loz, that this is going to be the season of cancellations. If it's not Fulham pulling out of matches, it's probably going to be other teams. It feels inevitable that given so many games are happening, that there are going to be one or two matches this, this festive period that don't happen because, well, without going into a massive COVID podcast, it, it feels rife and feels everywhere right now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's inevitable. I mean, if it's already happening, then it's not going to be a one-off occurrence. So, it looks likely that it, you know there is a strong sort of prospect of it of it happening in the championship and to us. I mean, I was just sort of thinking the other day. I was lucky enough to get one of the tickets to see Fulham play Liverpool in December. So that was like a year ago when that was the first time that we got back to the cottage after a long stint away. And so you know, I don't think anyone's taken going to the cottage for granted. You can sort of like feel it. Everyone there just really up for being there in person. And Marcus Silva cannot praise the fans enough. I think he's he is really, really on it where it comes to sort of like a fan, you know, appreciation. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've just got to expect some knockbacks really. It's inevitable. 
Obviously, Dan Fulham were kind of at the centre of a COVID storm back last January where we had that Burnley game and the Spurs game um, curtailed. Fulham then had a really horrible run of matches to kind of make up for it. And it didn't really help us in the in the battle to stay up, even though we managed to get a, a draw out of those two rearranged games. I think that the big run of games ultimately meant it was very difficult for Fulham. So it would be ideal, really, if, if Fulham just kind of can somehow navigate the path of, of avoiding fixture pileups. But of course, there's, there's 11 players on another team that you've got to also um, count for that's completely out of Fulham's control, really. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one uh, because there's only so much you can do. As you can say, you know, we can lock our players inside their houses, but at the end of the day, if the opposition end up having a, a bout of cases, there's nothing we can do. What I think... One works in our favour is depth of our squad. When we have everyone available, we have a deep squad. Uh, whether Marco Silva uses that depth is another question, but I think we're better positioned than most teams to deal with any potential fixture build-up, a pile-up. Um, and the other thing I think is, yeah, it, it's the, the toss-up right between... If you start, if they they make a decision, and they do a two week hit, right? Where no games, we'll 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 try and wait for for cases to go down. That might benefit Fulham because we could have had a game called off in that period, and we'd have been dealing with more uh, with uh, tighter turnaround than other teams. But likewise, you know, if we get lucky and a Bournemouth or a, a West Brom don't, then it could work in our favour. It's one of these things where it's just completely out of our hands. Um. And Jackie, with Sheffield United coming next Monday, I think my biggest, biggest disappointment in a way is that it's not going to be Slav uh, managing uh, the Blades. Although part of me obviously relieved because I know what Slav can do and clearly Sheffield United um, don't seem to. Um, they're having a bit of a mixed season. It feels to me like a good game for Fulham to get. It feels like the right game for Fulham to have a break and get back to winning ways on Monday. But of course, look, this is a team that beginning of the season, we would have said we're going to be promotion contenders. It's very much not happened that way. And it doesn't look like it's going to be some sort of late miracle for them. But I don't know. It, it screams to me of good. I mean, all three fixtures, really, you know, Sheffield United, Reading, Birmingham in, in those three over Christmas feels like great fixtures for Fulham to get back on track with. Yeah, I think Sheffield United, it's a bit like Dan was saying about West Brom. The fans aren't happy. And that says it all. Um, quite what these owners were thinking in getting Slav in and then not giving him a chance and sacking him. I mean, that's just the most stupid decision possible. We know what a good manager he is. So do the Watford fans. Even the Watford owners, who are a bit mad as well, seem to have worked out that he at least got them promoted, although then they sacked him as well. So there is a bit of a, a pattern there maybe with Slav, but to sack him so early on in a championship season is just barking. Um, and I, I'm sure it's left them in a bit of disarray. Yes, I think we all thought um, before the season started, this could be this most amazing, exciting three horse race between ourselves and two former managers. Um, and poor old Slav's been shoved out of the game before he even got started. So, yeah, I agree. I think that unfortunately for them, the Blades aren't going to be contenders this season. So, yes, they are a good team to meet at home after a reasonable break when we really do need to get back to winning ways. 
Yeah, when you I mean they have one three on the spin, which caught me by surprise. But I mean they have been relatively kind fixtures. A home game against Bristol City, who seem to be pretty pretty defenseless really and then away at Cardiff who have been pretty poor all season so I don't think there's a huge amount to write home about with those three in a row given the opposition that they face Reading was also uh, the team that was the last team that Slav beat uh, before he was uh, given the heave ho so we'll see how it goes next Monday bigger preview coming up later in the week myself and Jack on the Thursday club uh, we're also on the Thursday club we're going to be chatting about the under 23s uh, I've caught up with Peter uh, he was watching the South End game that Fulham won in the Premier League Cup and loads of people have been asking us recently to do a special podcast on the under 23s uh, and the talents that is burgeoning uh, within that side they are really flying this season and um delighted that we've been able to give a bit of an opportunity uh, to chat about them more in detail. So that's coming up later in the week on the Thursday Club. All that remains on today's podcast though is to name it. So Dan, what would you like to go for? I think we'll go with Dan W's Sound the Drawn. Yeah, I enjoyed that. My, my poor old horn uh, has been locked away in the cupboard uh, for a few games in a row. I was really excited. When we were 1-0 up and Bournemouth were 1-0 down, I was thinking we could be on here for a but no, no, still. It's in its cupboard, it's in its box, but it will come out, it will come good again. Uh, but yeah, great uh, three-word view there with Sound the Drawn. And thank you for listening today, Dan. Thank you very much for being on. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Jackie, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. And thank you also for the plug for the book. Crossing the line. Get the book now. Uh, And Loz Hughes, thank you very much too. Thanks, Sammy. It's been good. Thank you. And of course, Jack and Loz's blog is live after every game. If you follow them on Twitter at Jack and Loz, uh, you will find the link to it. It is very popular indeed. Lots of people rave about it every single week and rightly so because it is fantastic writing. So give Jack and Loz a follow and their wonderful blog as well too. Thank you very much for listening today and we'll be back later in the week with the Thursday Club. Come on you whites. Right.